Vodka. 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 Hey everybody, I hope your holiday seasons are going well. Welcome to Vodka O'Clock. I am your host, Amber Love, from AmberUnmasked.com. And just to wrap up what's been going on this year, my first two Farrah Weathers mysteries are out and available through sites like Amazon and Barnes & Noble. So you can get cardiac arrest and full body manslaughter right now. And you can support my work at patreon.com slash amberunmasked. So um, if you are absolutely looking for old archived episodes of Vodka Clock by any chance, some of them had to be taken off of the servers for iTunes and Stitcher just to make some room. So they are still available at amberunmasked.com and you just go to the um, podcast tag. But all of this year's episodes are on iTunes and Stitcher already. So welcome to the show for the first time. Uh, Daniel Strickland is here. We're going to talk about his freelance art career. Welcome aboard. Hi there, Amber. Uh, thank you. Thank you for having me. It's nice to talk to you. Um, it is. It's uh, this wonderful small world of art and cartooning where, you know, we end up in the same networks of people. Yeah, friends of friends. and Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, and, and I love listening to podcasts. Uh, your episode with Joy was really awesome. And, I love uh, Joy. She's such a great person. I just realized how many episodes you have, so I have to go through your backlog and listen to all that stuff now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I always listen to podcasts when I'm drawing, and there's something about having people talking, especially comedy ones, like stuff that makes me laugh while I'm drawing. It just kind of puts me in a good mood and, uh, I don't know, helps pass the time, you know? That's good. I have uh, I, I haven't listened to any in a while because I used to listen to them specifically in my car, and so I haven't been driving anywhere. I mean, now I drive like ten minutes, so <laughs> I haven't I haven't been listening to any podcasts. But I used to, you know, have some favorites, um, like you know the ones on Nerdist, Nerdist Writers Panel. Yeah, um, yeah. Some... Writing excuses. Writing excuses is a short one. It's like fifteen minutes. So that one I will put on when I need writing inspiration. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I like to listen to. Uh, I don't know if you know Pete Holmes or Duncan Trussell. They're comedians, and so they have a lot yeah. of entertainers. But they like to dig deep. They really talk about people's lives and their beliefs on <laughs> the bigger picture yeah. of things and the. Well, I love that too. I love that you know, getting really Barbara Walters about it, like right. you, know, how, you know what, what in your childhood. I scared some of my friends though when I do that. I'm like, let's talk about your childhood and you know why you became a writer, and they're like, no. <laughs> I, I mean, it's really scary. It's daunting. Um, I guess you could say the same thing for artists and people like you know, why do you draw the way you draw? Or, yes. But, uh, and it's like, well, I have this recurring nightmare, and yeah. <laughs> Especially the people that I know in horror and like you know that draw you know draw or write really graphic stories. It's like, oh, yeah. what was on your brain? Like, how did you get through that? But usually, so, a lot of those guys are some of the nicest, sweetest people usually, you'll meet. Yeah, they're usually so chill. So like unbelievable. Like, That's one thing you know. that shocked me from like a, an early age. Like I first started going to comic cons when I was like ten years old, eleven, something like that. And um, 
so you think of these artists, these guys that you really admire as these larger than life people, and they're not going to show a little, a little kid, you know, the time of day, but, um, they were all the nicest, sweetest people. Um, or it, it seems like, uh, I've met the best people in the comic industry. That's good. That's they don't good. Have I have like that rock star, egotistical kind of, you know, mentality. Yeah, I, I tell you, one of the 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 greatest guys that I met, and it was early on, like one of my first comic cons, was Jim Lee, who had a line that was like absurd. And this was like before he and Jeff Johns took over DC. Like this was before that. Oh wow! And the the line was so long, and he made sure to talk like to every single person that was in that line. Wow. And like they were trying to like close, they kept trying to cut the line off and like there would, there was, you know, be somebody at the end that says, this is the end of the line. Like, don't go past me. And there would always be a couple of stragglers that would still try to get in just in case. And he did, he stayed, he talked to every single one of those people. Well, my first comic con experience when I was a little kid, uh, my folks were going on a trip and, and taking me with them. I believe it was to San Antonio, Texas. And we had like this opportunity, this window of opportunity to, uh, to fly into Dallas. And back then they had something called the Dallas fantasy fair. And the guests of honor were going to be all of the image guys. Well, like this was back when image oh. was only like a couple years old, maybe. And, um, so, uh, <laughs> it's embarrassing, but back then my favorite artist was Rob Liefeld. <laughs> so, um, and now you look at all the Deadpool stuff and, and everybody yeah. thinks he's cool now, but they were making fun of him, you, you know. But Rob's a controversial figure in comics. He know? really it's, is. It's kind of a loaded yeah. topic. But um, but at that time he he was my my idol. He was like, I wish I could draw like this dude and like become successful like him. And he was probably, I don't know. He was really inspiring that way though. Like that's he was a young guy who you know just did, exactly. did what he wanted. In my ten year old brain, I'm thinking, well, if he could, like, it seemed sort of attainable or sort of like. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll get there one of these days if I just keep drawing. And he must have been like 20 or something at the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, so anyway, they had this big table with all of the uh, the image guys there. And we had like this layover where we had like X amount of hours. We could go to the fantasy fair. I could, you know, meet meet my dudes, my you know, get, get my stuff signed. And then we're off on the plane back. And, um... <laughs> And we saw that line, and it was a mile long. And I'll I'll never forget, like, my mom was like, go up to the front. Like, we can skip through that line. We can kind of weasel our way because we got, we've got to catch this flight back. And um, sure enough, I, I think Jim Lee signed my comic first. And then he took my other stuff and passed it along to Rob. And, and I mean, they had, like, a mile's worth of people's stuff to sign. Like they were I pressed bet. for time too, <laughs> but it's just that, that gesture to a little kid of, you know, making sure he got, got his stuff signed. And I, I did get to meet Rob later on. And, um, 
he did uh, spend time like looking at my little portfolio at the time and all that stuff. And um, but yeah, it's just a uh, being a class act like that to a little kid really uh, it goes a long way. And, yeah, you uh, you have to know who is approachable if you're an artist and. You're doing that, and you're ch- you know you're taking your portfolio up, especially if you haven't even started art school yet, and you're you know you're sweating and just dripping, and you know want to want to show you somebody who's been in the business for a while, because some of it's that American Idol thing. Like some of them will just be so honest that it's painful. Oh yeah, and other people will be very encouraging. Your Simon Cowles of the yeah. comic world. Yeah. Exactly. Oh yeah, I, I, I've had plenty of uh, brutal kick in the butts when it when it came to to show my stuff to other artists or to uh, editors as I got older, but um, but it was all coming from a place of uh, constructivity and wanting me to progress and you know seeing something there, and I think that's what the the key is. Like I, I remember. Uh, at SCAD, we would have these uh, editor's days. It would be once a year where uh, everything would kind of culminate. You know, we'd have all of our get, – get together our best of the best from our projects and portfolios. And and these editors would come in from uh, Marvel or Tokyo Pop at the time was one. But, but anyway, well, uh, the main thing that they said was always give it a compliment sandwich, you, you right. know. Uh, notice what's the best of this person's work first, kind of build them up a little bit and then start getting into where, where things need to improve. And like I said, from a place where it's constructive rather than making fun or being discouraging about things. And, um, and yeah, and then you say something nice at the end. (laughs) And so that's how they taught us how to do it. It's, you know, because you don't know if somebody is going to say, well, I didn't impress this one person, so I should just give up. And they might really just give up instead of saying, hey, that was just one person, yeah. you know, like like you like Rob Liefeld and, uh, you know, plenty of other people agree with you. And then there's a bunch who don't. So, you know, what works for one person it, you know, or doesn't work for them, just, you know, go on to somebody else. And that's so true. And, and it's and, just, it's just, <laughs> it's just lines on paper. And what you did that day or that week is not indicative of what you'll do five years from now. You know, yeah. it's a phase. That you're you going to suck. You're going to, you know, that's even right. best selling authors have written shitty books and, you yeah. know, Oscar award-winning actors have done really shitty movies too, so it happens. That's so true. You you just have to keep pushing. Uh, the The winners are the ones who just stay in it and and keep keep putting out more work, keep trying new things. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about SCAD a little bit because um, I've sure. never heard a bad thing. I've, it's considered you know like one of the best art schools in the country. And Fantastic that you've never heard a bad thing. I have not heard a bad thing. So give me the reality of it. What makes it special? Well, you know, I say did that they, because did they prepare you? It's funny to me because um, I have come across people who have said bad things about Scatter, or they, you know, for whatever reason, had a uh, 
had, had a bad time, but for me, it, it was fantastic. I, uh, I, but I, I think the thing is the, the key to all of this is you have to be a certain type of person to be able to discipline yourself and push yourself in the projects that they give you to make the most out of it. You know, you get out of it what you put into it. And some people think that, well, if I spend this amount of money to, to, you know, tuition to go to the school and I buy these supplies, then they should be able to take care of me and make me into, well, you know, it. you have to meet them <laughs> more than halfway. And just like any other program of study, there's going to be a, a class or an assignment that you don't give a crap about, you know, like maybe you don't care about, you know, I don't know, drawing cars or something, but they're <laughs> teaching you how to draw cars that day. That's a really good point. But you, you have to, I, I don't know. You, uh, eventually over time, you, you learn to kind of fall in love with everything with, uh, uh you break it down to the point where it's like, okay, I'm going to have to draw cars. Uh, or like for me, I'm not that keen on drawing dogs or horses or you know, there, there's certain things. Clouds mm-hmm. bum me out for some reason. I don't like drawing clouds. Oh, <laughs> the color. Leave that for the colorist. Right, right. <laughs> but but you have to. You realize that you know if I want to make a convincing comic panel with a horse in it or whatever. And I got to break it down. I got to learn horse anatomy. I got to, you know, go from the skeleton up. And then I got to. This gotta... does not resemble the bowl of fruit I drew. <laughs> yeah. So, so I tried to keep an interest in, in all the studies I had while I was at SCAD. And, and I not only took the sequential art classes, but I had foundational classes that, that not only went into figure drawing, but I did take some still life classes where I was doing oil paintings of bowls of fruit. And <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah. You right. have to. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I wanted um, to, to get the best out of everything and be a, be a sponge and just soak up as much of the information as I could. And SCAD was, um, well, at that time I, I believe there was only the, the Savannah school. I'm not sure if they had the Atlanta one. I, I was there from 2000 to 2004. And, um, but it was famous for having the sequential art department. That was like a different thing, you know? Right. Cause that's not in every single, like it's not in a regular college's art program. Right. And at that time there, there was SCAD, there's the Joe Kubert school. Right. And there was, uh, I believe, the New York School of Visual Art had a, a type of sequential art program. I think Art Spiegelman was over there, actually. And um, but I I was I was still in high school when uh, they gave me an invitation to go to an open house at SCAD, and they had all of these professional like big name guys there doing uh workshops and talking to people and just kind of feeling them out on uh you know what kind of comics they were interested in and stuff 
And uh, so, so my dad and I went went to this open house, and I brought my portfolio, and uh, they they were really interested in me. They were like, "You could go one of two ways. You could either spend this money and go to the school, and uh, we will discipline you and form you into where you want to be, or you can just stay at home and do it yourself." <laughs> But it's you know it's not guaranteed either way, uh, yeah. How you'll develop after four years, right? And uh, I know uh, you know an awful lot of artists and writers with day jobs, and that's something that I think is glossed over when, um, like, uh, I, I spend a lot of time in art schools, not as a student though, um, doing figure modeling, and okay. so I get to hear the same lectures over and over again. I feel like I could teach the classes as long as I don't have to actually pick up a brush. <laughs> and um, they, you know, so some of the things that they, they say is they, they try to be, it's a different kind of encouraging. It's a little hard encouraging saying like, don't take work for free and you're worth X amount of money. And you're, and it's like, those are all things. Yes, they're true, but they're also not realistic. Like you might have to have a shitty job you know, for a very long time or maybe for your whole career while you're making art on the side or, you know, it's, it's really hard to break in. It's very, you know, it's, oh, yeah. it's, it's hard. Like, um, somebody guys just... also the, 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 the notion of breaking in, I mean, there are plenty of people who are seasoned professionals who have done big stuff who aren't doing stuff right now for whatever reason. It's a right. continual, it's a continual process of uh, hopping from job to job. If you're freelance, you know, if you're not in contract with a, a bigger company. Well, Katie Cook just said that um, years ago, when she was starting out, some other, you know, already successful pro or editor, whatever it was, took a look at her stuff and told her she would never, ever make it. And now she's drawing Star Wars and, like, Justice League. Wow. I mean, you know, with her cutesy, cartoony, childlike, you know, bubbly style. <laughs> because they've, like, it's, you know, it's like instant variant covers hit. And she's on T-shirts and stuff. I mean, you know, she goes to the Star Wars celebrations and there's like a line around the block to meet her. Wow. And it's like, That's it's fantastic. like, um, yeah, we just, you know. Prove that guy wrong. Huh? It's yeah. I mean, it's just so funny that how discouraging some people could be. I don't know. And, and maybe there was a sexist thing going on there like oh you're a girl you're never going to get into comics or something who knows what was really behind that comment to her well that that, that is one thing that uh another thing that really impressed me about scad with the sequential art department they were very much for female creators uh, girls in comics and making things equal and uh i i think that that was really good exposure for me to to see that because in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, at that time, it, you know, there there are like a handful of comic shops, and it's the only dudes going in there that you know look like me, just like you know, a <laughs> nerdy dude hangout place. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't uh, that exposed to um, just just either 
even other types of stories or storytelling um it's it's good to have the diversity in comics and and I think SCAD did a good job of that too. Do they have any kind of assistance for helping people find work afterwards? If I were to critique SCAD on a couple of things, uh, that would be one of them. And the other thing was that there wasn't enough uh, instruction on the business side of things. Okay. Um at that time, YouTube wasn't even around. <laughs> so, so, like, right. in terms of digital marketing, things were a, a lot more limited. But uh, I, I still think, you know, that they could have at least made one class mandatory that had to do, you know, like maybe in your senior year, something that would involve more of a, like how to yeah how to form an LLC how to file your taxes exactly exactly that's the stuff that I hear a lot of people you know sort of have to be self-taught about and it's it's terrifying like I don't know as a creative person I don't care about that stuff like I don't want to look at it I don't want to deal with the money I don't want to deal with any of it and the fact that I'm like you know a one-man band I'm like oh my god every time I have to look at a report and this one doesn't match this one I'm like I don't know what to do I just had like, to file my, my LLC renewal, like, just the other day. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things, it kills your creative mojo, because you don't want to talk about it in that sense. Right. It's kind of gross, well, I think, <laughs> but, but it's necessary. I think in Ducre, yeah, Ducre School of Art, uh, which is the place where I work the most, they um, they had, they used to have a business of art course that they had to they had to take. I don't even know if they do it anymore though. Um, but like I went to a regular four-year college and their idea of, you know, job assistance placement was spending like one day teaching you how to make a resume. And it's like when yeah. you're a kid that's had, you know, zero work experience at all. And one internship, your resume is three sentences long. I like, know. It's, yeah, you know, it's like, this is not job placement assistance. <laughs> But but I do have to give credit on uh, uh, I'm gonna name drop uh, Mark Schultz. Are you familiar with Mark Schultz? The cre- no, Charles Schultz. <laughs> no, no, Mark Schultz. You'll have to Google his work. Uh, he okay. did a series called uh, Cadillacs and Dinosaurs, and in the early '90s, it became a Saturday morning cartoon and uh, had toys and it, neat. It was a big deal, but but anyway, uh, but his work is just gorgeous. He's an amazing comic artist and illustrator, and um, I, I had him for a couple classes. He was a guest artist uh, teacher at the time, and um, I, to, to his credit, he did start to delve into uh, what to do with uh, <laughs> the, the taxes, like saving receipts and. Uh, uh, all all that kind of stuff. We did start to get into the more business side of things. He devoted some some time with us, but but it wasn't so, like a whole class, you know. That's good. But uh, um, it's when so when you graduated from SCAD, did you have to do, you know like do a whole bunch of free work? Are you still at this point in your career still doing some free work just to meet people and 
get because create, creator I owned do, works different. Uh, hmm. Creator creator owned like I mean you know just you're just waiting on the back end if there is one which there usually isn't. Yeah. 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 I I've yeah. had my instances with that, but um, uh, recently the the free work thing isn't uh, typically something I do. <laughs> um. Uh, Unless it was some uh, like a friend of mine had a really cool story and it blew my mind and I really wanted to draw this thing and I, I had a belief that we could you know make something out of it that would be successful. But um, people try to reel you into free work a lot of times with uh, the notion of, well, you'll make money when I make money with it, or we can share in the, the royalties and this and that, and you kind of talk it to death, and it doesn't, <laughs> it's not <Right>. good. <laughs> it's usually not good. And that's usually when stuff peters out, because somebody draws 10 pages, and they're like, okay, why am I doing this effort? <laughs> right. And that's a bummer, and then you kind of get discouraged for a while, and it's not a good experience. But, um... But I have, so how did you find projects then that like actual paying work after SCAD? I'm trying to think. Um, well, I have my own website for one, and I had lists of publishers that I would contact. In those days, I mean, <laughs> back in my day, I sound so old, but it was just like free Facebook, really. But yeah. um, you, you know, there well pre MySpace. So you didn't have social networking where, where you could uh, promote as much. So you would just blast out, you know, hundreds of emails to publishers. And, uh, you know, just kind of a Hail Mary, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And um, That's just going into the slush pile. Like it's just in a void. You're hoping they open it. Yeah, that can get really depressing. <laughs> but, um, but, but my first... Big gig, I'd have to say, was the uh, the Tom Sawyer graphic novel is a uh, an adaptation of the Adventures of Tom Sawyer, and it was put out by Stone Arch Books, and it was uh, where they hired me to do the pencil inking and coloring for I I believe it was sixty four pages, something like that. Um, and uh, they had a script that was uh, uh, adapted from the, the original Mark Twain, you know, and, and laid it out panel by panel and stuff. And um, that was my first major work. And I got that because somebody ran across my website and just emailed me. Wow, that's so The website awesome. really paid off. Yeah, because back then, people, you had to build them yourself. I mean, I know because I made mine, you know, it was like learn HTML and build your own freaking site. Well, yeah, that's embarrassing, too, because um, <laughs> I have a friend who uh, was a graphic design major at SCAD and he designed my website. So all I had to do was provide the artwork and you know, material. Ah, there you go. <laughs> but uh, but to now this it's much day, easier. It's, it's HTML and websites and. I realize, like, you know, the the links I gave you, some of them are lacking because uh, I, I just it, – it's hard to be the creator of things and yeah. doing the, the Internet work. 
at least for me. Well, there's, <laughs> I'm getting well, better right. about it, and, and I'm trying to post more, especially on uh, Facebook, Tumblr, Instagram. Yeah, uh, you bring up a good point. There's just you spend so much time handling all of these things because unless you, you know, maybe have a really good tool like Hootsuite is can do posts across platforms, but you you know it's also like there's the free version and there's like you know the paid version, but um, but if you're trying to maintain a real nice looking website and then you're on Tumblr and then you're on Twitter and it's like maintaining all of that is like hogs up 50% of your day. I have about five or six accounts that when I post a new drawing or a new, you know, say something new, I have to go in all of those and post something. Mm -hmm. Including Patreon. I know you you mentioned Patreon. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Patreon's a whole other thing. I'm like, wow, why is my website getting so many less hits? And I'm like, oh, because I'm posting stuff over on Patreon and it's instead. And it's like, oh, that's why. It really is. uh, You're spinning plates. You're spinning (laughs) five or six plates at the same time. And in six months, there'll be another one to add. You know, like every so many months, like, oh, this one's gone under and this one's coming out. And, this, you know, what do you think? of You know, Ugh. Yeah. and they try, and this you know, program language of your your main website's outdated. So then you got to put it into a new thing. Yeah. And you have to hope that your stuff works. <laughs> My stuff's in WordPress right now. And every time there's a WordPress update, which is, I think, every two weeks, I'm like, oh, please don't crash anything. Oh, no. You know, I have plugins. Like, please let the plugins keep working. So I guess I was kind of coming up at the at the cusp of uh, the internet and the computer and stuff. But I I still wanted to make everything handmade, or at least as much as I could. Yeah, I I, I color things in Photoshop a lot of times, and it, it's certainly uh, quicker and easier uh, when it comes to clients. But, uh, yeah, because you're going to have to have it to scan and send to them anyway. Right. So you need the digital files anyway. Right. That's so frustrating. If you, like, spend all this time on a full-color painting of something and you go mm-hmm. to scan it in or photograph it and the colors don't look the same, then then you've got another set of problems, uh, you know, trying to make it faithful to the original. Plus, I don't know anybody that hand letters unless it's a very special project and then they're like, hey, I feel like challenging myself by hand lettering. Well, I, I, I'm kind of sadistic like that, but I, I'm planning on doing a, uh, a comic series where I will be hand lettering the thing. There you go. <laughs> so I, I've been practicing my hand lettering here and there. There's no, and yeah. There's a craft ink, of there's... that, too. I was going to ask you about, you know, while we're talking about social media, about Inktober, and there's no lettering month. Like, why don't we need to invent, like, you know, Lettober or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> Alpha Vimber or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's a good point, though. Yeah. We'll have yeah. to we'll have to get that, uh, like, uh, Nate Cosby on it. and uh, That'd be amazing. Yeah. The Blambot people, everybody over there. Let's uh, let's see. Declare a month. Like, give us a month of lettering. <laughs> I don't know anything about lettering and typography. I'm just fascinated about 
I don't know why. There's like um, a friend of mine got a job at, at Whole Foods as an artist, like, you know, hey, that's probably a job no one ever thought of, but doing all of the the signs for that's like so the deli. That's you the, mentioned that because I tried out for one of those gigs one time. <laughs> oh, and she's great at it. Like she does every, all this hand wow. lettering with this amazing, like just playing with typography stuff. And it is unbelievable. She posts stuff on Instagram and I'm just fascinated by it. Or, you know, people who do, like, really good at those signs that go in front of a bookstore or bar. Yeah. Like, I always love seeing that stuff. It's funny because, like, there's maybe kind of, like, a digital backlash in a way. Like, everything was so clean cut and done in Adobe Illustrator that pe- right. people want that handmade. They They want more human <clears throat> touch. But then they're putting it on Instagram, so it is going back into the digital realm. It gets but, there, yeah. There's there's a complementary, you know, right, there's this back existence with, uh, with computers and technology. And sometimes that can go awry. Like I don't know if you saw the McDonald's winter cups that um, <laughs> it looked like two mittens, but it looked like somebody was grabbing butt cheeks apart. My and apparently that just was... showed me that a couple days ago. Yeah, <laughs> and, it's, it, and it's just because that's not the real cup, but somebody just like photo manipulated it so well that it looked like the real cup. Uh... And so it's really just a pair of white mittens. <laughs> Very innocent. It's on Snopes already, so... Well, with everybody photoshopping things on the photos, you, you never know what's real and mm-hmm. what isn't a lot of times. It's just all kind of crazy stories yeah, right? on the internet, really. So when you're doing your inking, is that all, that's all still by hand, or are you doing some of that depending on the project? As of, as of now, I, I, uh, I do it all by hand. I, I, I don't, uh, I, I've never even really tried digital inking. I have used a Wacom tablet for coloring to, to kind of make things more organic looking. Uh, like I, I found, uh, you know, I was doing something for a, a video game project and they needed these really scary zombie monster things. And um, the Wacom tablet worked really well for producing the little veins in the skin and oh. are like um, the iris of the eyes. You have those, uh, those little fibers, you know, so it was just like little things like that. It, it helped me get more organic with the coloring. But um, I, I just, have you noticed love, that about I love my inking tools and I still use the same old micron pigma, markers uh, i don't know if you uh you know about those but um no i mean i know about the copic markers but they're for coloring but, but like but they, you mean like the brush pens no no um the the felt gauge you know they have like oh oh my god oh, they're like the yeah with the Mi- yeah, micron sakura the, those little tan pins yeah, I, I think there's been a resurgence with uh, people wanting to draw more manga to get those sets of pens. Oh, because they were, I mean, I had a rapidographs when I was younger in high school. 
there were pitographs you have to uh, constantly clean and manage, and I'm just I'm not down with all of that. <laughs> but <laughs> when I'm done with my pen, I throw it away and get a new one. Yeah, um, because your lines are very fine. It's almost um, it's almost like shadowless until you go into like some of your monster work had, had heavier shadows, but I was looking through them and I'm like, they're all so fine. It has that, that Mobius thinness oh, to wow. the line. Thank you. And I'm like, how do you make lines so thin? <laughs> but I, guess, <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, for, for the, uh, the, the Halloween work in particular, I, I, I did all of those pages at eight and a half by 11. So it's not like the full size comic page. And, uh, that, that made me get, get through them quicker. And, mm -hmm. um, it, so I figured since it's a one to one ratio, what I'm drawing and what you're looking at, I got to keep the lines kind of thin. So I use 005s and 01s of those microns. And, uh, that's how I get those thin lines, just that and a lot of time <laughs> sitting down with it. But, uh, but so yeah, typically do you... for comic work, I would do uh, 11 by 17 sheets, and then you shrink that down to the right. comic proportion, you know. So so you're compressing the line work. They're, it's getting thinner, but but with these... I just, you know, left it the same size. Well, if you are, um, you know, working your way around on uh, social media and stuff, I I absolutely love when people make the little quick, like, one-minute videos and that just show, like, um, Mike Norton had one, the, I think it was two days ago, of him inking trees. And it sounds like such a boring thing, but to me it's like watching Bob Ross. Like I, I could just go and like, this is my therapy, just watching somebody draw their happy trees. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, well, so you can do one of these days it. I'll get a better setup with a, a, a webcam at the drafting table where I can uh, work on some uh, time-lapse drawings like that. I, I think that would be really cool. Yeah, I, I, I played around with a little bit of that on one of these websites, uh, Twitch, I believe. Mm -hmm. They most yeah, those I haven't games checked it out yet. Things, but but they have a section for arts and crafts, uh, not only drawing but like cosplay people, they have cosplay body stuff now. Stuff. Yeah, uh, and they're starting like a reality one, like just people doing well, ordinary everyday things. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, that's like going to be a new section of their site. I haven't honestly looked at their site in a while, but um, my friend Jesse games through there. Okay, so. cool. But yeah. But there you go, Twitch. You can start a, yet one more thing to do. Oh, yeah. Yeah, another account that you have to keep up. That you have to have. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, my name is different on every network, so I'm, like, totally screwed. Um, yeah, I tried to be as consistent as I could with the whole strict art thing, but then some sites. Uh, well, this is funny. Funny. Uh, apparently, in German, strict art means to uh, like weave, like like crochet. I guess. So, like, oh. you Google strict art, you'll see my drawings, and then you'll see like these 
knit sweaters done by these old German ladies. <laughs> That's at so least, cool. At least in America, I sort of have a have strict art cornered as as an odd word. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So with with uh, the inking and the Inktober challenge and stuff, you drew a lot of monsters. So do you normally draw them just because it was Halloween time or do you just like drawing monsters anyway? Because I noticed that you also have people sitting in restaurants, and, you know, for your regular portfolio work. And it's like people, you know, you're just doodling at a cafe or something. Right, right. Well, um, it's funny. Well, it's kind of like I say, I, I tend to uh, get into these projects where I – I delve in a certain type of subject matter, and I'll kind of obsess over that until the project's done, and then I kind of jump on to another thing. But um, I, I've never been like the monster guy. Like I mean, back when I was in SCAD, I kind of drew a little bit of everything. But I always like to keep things kind of creepy or weird or kind of. Off. <laughs> I, I always like stories like that that are a little bit. Uh, Odd and mysterious, I guess you could say. Uh, but but um, Twilight Zone, right? I, I, was, I was always a big fan of that Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock and David Lynch. Later on, I got into his stuff, and I, I always. I I will confess, I gave up on Stranger Things. It was just not for me. You know, me That's too. A- I I, uh, I gave it a good shot, and I. I wanted to like that so bad because I, I thought I it did was, too. Yeah, like every, but I tell you what, I did end up liking was that Black Mirror. If you watch Black oh, Mirror, I, no, I could not Lord. watch that. <laughs> <laughs> That's too no. much. <laughs> I went. I, I was like in the first episode. I'm like, oh my god, I had the, nightmares. The first I'm like, episode isn't indicative of everything else. I mean, they go. That's what I was afraid of. I'm stuff. like, how do I get through this one episode but, just to see what the rest of it's so, like? And really, I. Yeah, I, I like those mind jobs, you know, like put put me in, in a place where I'm questioning my reality by the end of it. <laughs> I watch enough murder shows where I'm dreaming of like, you know, horrible murder things half the time. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I watch why well, Marathon the Killing, which is four seasons, um, but it's uh, like half seasons, like 13 episodes each. And okay. it's so so it's only four seasons. And. It was like there was so well written, like so many twists, like every single episode is another twist. And I'm like dreaming about these, you know, these terrible, like how these victims are. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need sleep. I have black circles under my eyes. (laughs) (laughs) It's like it was, you know, such a good show as far as um, how they created these incredible crimes that were you know piece you know that the detectives had to piece it together and follow these leads and always go down the wrong way until they you know they know who did it but they can't prove who did it kind of thing oh wow oh <laughs> i haven't watched yeah. the killing no yeah, but I but see i watched the killing just fine but i gave up on the following because the following was too gory too gory yeah, there's just like I got a few episodes in and it just seemed like it was a bloodbath. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. Like keep their blood stuff off screen. Like that's my kind of thing. Like just tell me who was mauled and you know well, maybe show like the arm point. of 
Yeah, yeah. I guess going back to the uh, the color ween project, I, I did have some uh, <laughs> some goriness in it, and so some some stuff that's unsettling. But I I rather go for the unsettling or the ambiguous or the off screen uh, as much as possible. But that was my first time doing a collection of like straight up monsters and quote unquote scary stuff. And I I really enjoyed it. I I took to it, I think. Uh, Yeah, my like Scooby Doo is like my level of scary. (laughs) 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 I've, I've always like scary movies or, or like I say just these really weird odd kind of David Lynchian things uh, surrealism and uh, yeah I mean like if I have to take a Xanax to get through an episode I'm like it, you know it has to be something incredible for me to continue with something <laughs> like there's there are books that I haven't finished like you know uh, Heart Shaped Box by Joe Hill I got like 20 pages into that and I really wanted to read it because everybody was raving about it. I'm like, I can't read this book. I'm like, no, I'm like, it's haunting me from my shelf. Like I want it like somewhere else to get in this shed. I guess uh, the shining is another good example of a film where it's, it has really scary, really unsettling moments, but Mm -hmm. it isn't as like, uh, I don't know how to explain it. Um, It isn't like a straight-up monster movie or like a straight-up ghost movie, but... Yeah, because there's like no... Well, yeah, I guess you're not really chasing a bad guy. He he buried the lead, so to speak, and he... uh, Yeah. And I like things like that. I guess I've always been attracted to that. And uh, so, so yeah, the, the coloring book project was really fun. And, uh, but, those, but those cool old monsters are, you know, they're making a comeback. Like the Universal Monsters, they were doing like new versions of them. That newest version of Dracula was pretty good. Um, they made him very sympathetic, of course. Um, or it was more that? like the new it was. Dracula. I don't yeah, what the heck was it? I don't know if it was it just called Dracula. Um, now I'm gonna have to look it up. Where he was like a warrior, it was more about the oh the, the feud I, I between okay um, yeah that was like a year yeah. or two ago yeah Dracula Untold there we go okay um, yeah so they were supposed to do like all of the Universal monsters were supposed to each get their new reboot I don't know if they've kept if they're gonna keep it or if they're gonna just abandon it oh, that's but it was there was yeah so I thought that was interesting that they um. You know, we keep going back to those same characters, mummies and Frankenstein. Yeah, they really are like these uh, archetypes. Uh, They're almost like, you know, literary figures that anybody can take and go in their own direction with and, and, you know, put put their own cultural spin on it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, I think that's part of what made it so much fun was like taking something like the werewolf and trying to figure out, well, what's my werewolf going to be like, or what, what can I combine it with? And th- then, as as I progressed on the the pages, I noticed that uh, the the ones I had the most fun with was taking a, a monster idea or a, you know a scary thing, and 
and then taking some other concept of something completely different or not 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 always polar opposite but just if i had some other idea i can mash up with it that right. it, it results in something that's kind of funny for one right but it can be kind of horrifying or just you know it puts you on your toes it makes you wonder oh what's going to happen next you know and uh so, so I, I I really enjoy the the mashing up of, of subjects and of uh of different genres too. Um, I, I yeah, I like I like when there's a nice comedy approach. There was a book that I read about um, a woman becomes a vampire and like she's completely unprepared for it, but still like she's just like worried about her shoe collection and if she's not in her house paying the mortgage, how is she going to get her shoes? And she still has to get up and go to a job every day and how lame that is. And stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like dead like me was a good show about that, like that. And, uh, I zombie, I think I zombie is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. When you can, uh, mash up the comedy and the horrifying, that seems to be fun. Um, I was going to say something and I forgot. <laughs> It'll come back to me. But um, oh, oh, well, like uh, it, the comedians I, I tend to gravitate to are oftentimes the most depressing people as well as the funniest people. Like uh, I don't. Oh yeah, you mentioned to, Louis C.K. and like oh boy, like. Definitely, definitely. Uh, the people who are in touch with the funniest stuff usually have gone through some very tough hardships, for one, and they have that ability to to, to play with your emotions, basically, and you know they can take you down some depressing paths, but then they can also make you laugh the hardest you've ever laughed. So. Yep. So tell me about storyboarding and how you got into that. Like, how did that job come about? Because we were, you know, um, before we started recording, we were discussing, you know, what a freelance career can be like and how it can be really unpredictable. And what you think you were, you know, you wanted to do when you were in high school, you end up on a completely different path and stuff. So now you've had this exper couple experiences with storyboarding, and it sounds really fascinating to me. And you're on IMDb, and that's so cool. Oh, so, so <laughs> how did you get into yeah, that? Yeah, that was really exciting. And, um, you know, it's funny because I'm pretty fortunate in that the projects I've done up until this point have all fallen into the realm of stuff I like or stuff I wanted to do or, you know, and storyboarding was one of those things I was always uh, interested in. I, I've always loved films. And um, from way back in uh, when I went to SCAD, uh, one of the things that legitimized it with uh, my folks in terms of, you know, paying for the tuition and getting me over there and stuff it was, um, you know, I could always be a storyboard artist and then I work for the movies and like that, that sounded a lot more <laughs> legit than, uh, you know, I'm going to make these indie comics and go to. You know, yeah. Right. <laughs> and I'm going to cry if I don't make that money. Oh, yeah. 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 But, um, yeah. but, but so, uh, what happened was a, a few years ago, uh, when things started to pick up over here with, um, filming and productions there uh 
In fact, uh, a couple streets down from me, there is a huge uh, hangar warehouse complex that uh, they rent out for productions. So, I mean, I, I had the advantage that I was in a place where stuff was starting to happen. And so I put my my name, my resume, my sites on as many uh, film commission uh, cast lists and uh, crew crew lists and all that jazz. You know, just uh, as many local organizations as I could find. I would get some sort of representation there, you know, and talk to people. And sure enough, that that was a couple of years ago how I got my first film, which was uh, Vincent and Roxy. And it starred uh, Emile Hirsch and Zoe Kravitz. And um, it, the the production was was small, but I mean they they had you know name actors in it, and uh, the the music was done by Questlove. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but um, so so it was an exciting thing to be a part of, and it all started with them just emailing me because they saw me on uh, the local list. These guys were from, uh, well, the director, uh, Gary Michael Schultz, is originally a Chicago uh, director. And then they were in LA and, and then they wanted to make this movie here. And they, they had, uh, uh, some action scenes in this movie. There's a lot of, uh, well, it's like a a more modern Tarantino-y Bonnie and Clyde kind of story. So oh. there, there's a lot of violence and a lot of action. And there were some key scenes that they needed help with to describe to their actors where they wanted them placed and how they wanted them moving and and just mapping out of that sequence. And that's where they needed a local artist. And it was between me and another guy and we hit it off the best. And, and so I ended up working really closely with uh, both the director and the uh, director of photography. And uh, yeah, that was my first big credit. <laughs> that's really cool. I love it. Yeah. And um, so what was a day like we had to, um, you know, was it working primarily with the same people every day in like one big massive room or were you sort of independent and on your own and just like showing them what you came up with? Well, well there's a couple of things I learned uh, with this uh, the storyboarding process. Uh, I, I guess the first thing is that it, it's just like the cliche how actors describe where you sit around, wait, sit around and wait. And then they they need you to do all this stuff really fast at once, you know, and it's really mm-hmm. intense. And um, the the case in, in this instance, it was I went to a meeting, and then they got to know me, and then go back home, don't hear from them for a while, and then like, well, c- c- come to this meeting. We, we got a script now. We, we got this part figured out. And then I go and do that. I draw stuff on the spot, like stuff that I've just read on a script. I got to draw immediately. 
and uh, and then go back, uh, or maybe you know take some of these drawings with you and just kind of finish them up and finesse them in your studio, and then bring that back. So <laughs> it, it's really sporadic, and it's really a um, constantly changing teamwork kind of atmosphere. And uh, you never know in terms of scripts when a uh, a writer may change a, a huge piece of the puzzle that um, you thought was going to go one way and now you're drawing it this way. And so I, I think my, my training as, as a sequential artist and, you know, not, not just as an illustrator, but someone who can draw fast, sketchy, thumbnail-y kind of stuff, uh, it came to an advantage. And that's what they needed at that time, you know. That's good. So then and then once you get to meet those people in that field, then it's like, hey, you've got contacts now and it might open the doors. They'll remember you in a few years when they've got the next project. That's true. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> um, uh, oh, so the, you've the other thing that this, was fascinating so... that I learned about storyboarding is that I, I guess, well, I always think of it from from the academic perspective. Uh, it's, it's like the blueprint, the visual uh, layouts of uh how you make a film, the, the the camera movements and the movements of the actors on screen are all kind of diagrammed three-dimensionally. But what I didn't realize is that um, for live action films, especially when you're on a tighter budget, you know, this isn't Hollywood, um, th- there's a, a safety issue as well. It, it, the, the storyboards make a clear picture for the actors on what they'll be doing if you've got a a semi truck driving past your actress and you don't want her to get hit you you, you got to like <laughs> you, you've got to map out how the actions of things go so that everybody's on the same page and they all uh it, 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 it all works according to plan but um but but I thought right. that that was interesting cuz in their case they really needed some some help with that stuff because it wasn't just going to be, you know, all CGI. and Right, right. No, this was like practical effects, the stuff that they were doing. And people getting shot and falling down and, you know, <laughs> jumping around and stuff like that. But but they needed the help of an artist to uh, convey to the, the actors and crew you know, how, how it's supposed to go down. And you got to do this though from Louisiana. You didn't, you, you know, like you said, it's not. It wasn't Hollywood. You weren't sitting there, you know, Literally driving down the street. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> wild. That's just so wild that you know, it, you didn't have to sit in three hours of traffic trying to, you know, get to Universal Studios or something. It was very weird. Yeah, and it was a really cool experience. And I could tell, like right off the bat, that it it felt like that same kind of atmosphere that it felt it scad when we would kind of pitch each other little story ideas or do critiques or, you know, it was a very comfortable, creative environment. And, uh, it, yeah, that was fantastic. And then last year I got to work on another production called, it's, uh, it's going to be released in 2017. It's called Ambition. But, but at the time it was called The Gifted 
or, or gifted. And um, it, it was a similar situation, just a different location. But um, but instead of working closely with the director, I was working with a uh, cinematographer. And uh, the, the interesting thing about uh, that experience was that there was a set in downtown Baton Rouge that they uh, they're they were renting out this really old house like turn of the century and um the the, the cinematographer invited me over there and we photographed the exact angles that match from their script uh, of the the sequence that we were working on so I got to see like firsthand the house that I was drawing and like see the angles and oh, that, that had to be helpful. It was very helpful. And, and it was also like, I don't know. It just really put you in the mood of the project. And, uh, I, I wasn't expecting that to have that. Experience. Right. I mean, cause you could have been, you know, presented with a, like a model at, you know, a certain scale, Right, um, right, you know, and just been like, well, this is it. <laughs> but to step in that house, to you know, smell it, to feel the walls, to see the paint on the walls, it just all—it <laughs> it cool. all really put you, put you there in the story. And uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited about that one as well. Do you have any idea um, what kind of release ambition we'll get, or how we can see Vincent and Roxy, like? It, yeah, well, the the thing is with Vincent and Roxy, it was at the Tribeca Film Festival that, that they released the the film festival, but it it still hasn't been distributed like worldwide or nationwide. Okay. <laughs> but you can keep up with both Vincent and Roxy and Ambition on IMDb, and uh, they. They'll let you know when, when there's a, a full release date. Um, I have a feeling that Ambition might get released before Vincent and Roxy. <laughs> but, uh, and they're, they're in post-production right now. Well, there's so many different ways to distribute now that, you know, if with these indie projects, if they want to do something different, like, um, you know, like go – through Kickstarter and the people who back it get the download first or get the, you know, DVD first or something. They could do that. Right. You know, like there's all these new opportunities. Or, or it may, they may work out a deal with like Netflix. Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Hulu or something. I don't know. Right. It's, so, well, that's awesome. But, um, well, Daniel, I've taken up an hour of your time. Holy cow, I didn't realize it's been that long. <laughs> you believe it? This is what happens when I start talking about creative stuff. I am hard to shut up. Yeah, me too. Like I, I gave you a disclaimer that I'm kind of shy and don't talk too much unless you give me talking on comics and art and stuff. <laughs> That's cool. That's what we're here for. Yeah. You speak the same language, so yeah. I try because you know I'm coming from a writing perspective, and and I try to feel your pain, so I know whatever, like what not to do, like what is you know, 
<laughs> like, you know, I've always heard, like, don't draw a crowd scene. So whenever I've had to write one in, I'm like, I'm like, okay, if you really don't want to draw the crowd, just kind of make them like blurry silhouettes or something. You know, like, my like script... little circles, just make little heads. So, yeah. yeah, my my scripts will be like, you know, just make people. like, yeah, like you can skip this or you can just pretend. I don't know, like come up with something else. <laughs> I need to practice drawing dogs and horses more, though. That's, that'll be a New Year's resolution. Maybe I'll do a. There you go. Those, you know, supernatural westerns. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so big right now. Well, that was the thing that turned me off of The Walking Dead. You know, it was like the second scene was a horse being gutted. I'm like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe the zombie fad is over now. I don't know. I doubt it. <laughs> Never be over, right? I doubt it. But apparently, though, um, I have not watched the trailers because I've seen, like, all the bad things said about them. But the Archie Comics franchises are getting a real, like, TV show, like Riverdale. So, like, the, you'll I get to see the real show. Riverdale. Yeah. Just had so you get to see, like, the real Archie and Jughead and the Josie and the Pussycats band and... So that'd be interesting. Well, remember there was a, a like a really corny Josie and the Pussycats movie. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was delightfully bad. It was wonderfully yeah, bad. Yeah, it's like one of those things, like like it was a Spice Girls movie or something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but and yet I still think of like I heard less bad things than I did about the Gem and the Holograms movie. I mean, people just trashed the Gem and the Holograms movie. Oh, yeah. Well, from what I saw, it looked nothing like what they were doing with the comic, which looked amazing. Yeah, it's like, this is nothing, doesn't even resemble the show. Like, what are you doing? It's just so watered down when they do that. <laughs> yeah. So there's, you know, some comics things that we can look forward to that, you know, branch across the media, different types of media forms. Yeah. But. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Daniel, where, what are your links that you want people to follow you? Like, are you, you know, what's the easiest one, hey. like Instagram or something? Well, I instantly tell people just Google Strick Art and you'll find me. Um, and sweater. I have a, on Instagram, it's, it's Strickstagram. On <laughs> Facebook, it's Strickbook. Uh, got Strick Art, uh, uh, Strick Art, whatever, Tumblr.com. Uh, Strickart Twitter, Strickart.com, which is ancient, so you should probably go to the <laughs> the social media ones first. And but Patreon. Yeah, up on Strickart. Oh yeah, and last but not least, Patreon is a yes. Strickart. Give him your money. And <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, or you can email me at Strickart at gmail dot com for uh, to order any prints of the work you see online. Uh, the Halloween coloring book, Colorween. Um, yeah, and I hope to have more books and things in the future. Yeah. Excellent. You guys can follow me on Twitter at Elizabeth Amber, and basically everything else is at amberunmasked.com, patreon.com slash amberunmasked. Backers usually get to hear news and stuff first, and they get to see special excerpts from my writings. So, um, so yeah, there's reasons to become a backer. Um, so, happy holiday of your choosing, Daniel. <laughs> well, same to you, Andrew. <laughs>